are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. We are now one step closer to Christmas. Tonight's Gospel text recounts the visit of Mary to her kinswoman Elizabeth and includes Mary's song, known as the Magnificat. You've heard it before, time and again at this time of the year, but sometimes the frequency of the telling can lead us to miss the deeper power of what Luke wants us to know. It is with haste, Luke tells us, that Mary heads out to a Judean town in the hill country, which was no small journey from her home in Nazareth. She's heard the strange promise of the angel Gabriel that she would bear a child, even though she'd never consummated her relationship with Joseph. And while Mary has embraced that message, let it be with me according to your word. Perhaps the immensity of it all has begun to feel more than just a little bit scary. She had straight out to be with this trusted, older kinswoman. And in Luke's telling, there's no suggestion that she's even paused to talk with Joseph about it all. Maybe she's frightened. Maybe she's worried that Joseph won't believe her. Maybe she's anxious about the town gossips. Or maybe she's just second-guessing the whole experience, wondering if maybe she's just dreamed it all up. But Elizabeth is safe. Mary knows she can trust her. So she heads to see her right away maybe scratching her head the whole way along. When she arrives at the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and remember from last week's reading, they too are expecting an impossible child in their old age. She arrives, she greets Elizabeth. This is how Luke recounts that episode. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, the child leapt in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? Why? Well, the mother of her Lord is frightened and alone. She needs the wise counsel of her elder to help her get her feet back on the ground, that's why. Yet whatever doubts or second guesses Mary might have harbored up to this point, they seem to melt away. And she opens her mouth to sing what we commonly call the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. We just sang it. For God has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servants. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is God's name. 
The great things of which Mary sings certainly include this impossible pregnancy, which she seems in this moment to utterly and entirely embrace. But as her song moves forward, the great things include what N.T. Wright characterizes as, quote, the ancient dream of Israel, namely that one day Israel's God would do what he said to Israel's earliest ancestors. All nations will be blessed through Abraham's family. But, Bishop Wright adds, for that to happen, the powers that kept the world in slavery had to be toppled. This then is where these lines from the Magnificat come from. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. The Lord has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. That's all present tense, notice. God has done this and has done that. And the powers that have kept things in a kind of slavery have been toppled. She's singing, in short, into the future. Now, at this moment, utterly sure that what is unfolding is precisely what prophets like Micah and Isaiah had said would unfold, period. And it did unfold in the life and ministry of Jesus, of course. And his earliest followers did their best to keep walking the path that he'd set. Read the book of Acts. Read Paul's epistles. And you'll see how those early Christians sought to live into the ethos of Mary's song. Sharing food. If you're hungry, there's food here giving space in their homes to one another. If you are without, there's always a place for you in my heart. Making sure there was room for all and significantly, the enslaved peoples were considered full members of those ancient Christian communities. <laughs> but you do know that all of that was happening under the iron rule of the Roman Empire. An empire in which the ruler and his cohort lived with an appalling level of wealth, frightening level of wealth, while so many others were oppressed and went hungry. That history keeps unfolding in different ways over the next 2,000 years, sometimes more extreme, sometimes more fair, but never entirely in key with what Mary sang that day. We have these social safety nets in our country. And a good deal of it was actually pioneered by church folks, people of faith, who were concerned that nobody should be left without. Yet those aren't seamless nets. And some people will fall through all too easily. And some of us are terribly complicated. And no matter how much help was given, uh, meanwhile, I recently read that in the year 2021, 
Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, had an annual income of $64 billion, which translates to a daily income, daily income of roughly $175 million, or an hourly income of $7.3 million. How is that even possible? What relationship to reality does that even have? None. None. And the people who work in the Amazon warehouses generally make minimum wage, doing a job that requires them to move almost impossibly fast to meet their quotas. That is a truly absurd imbalance. And so I wonder about the dream that Mary's Magnificat holds. That same wondering was held by those in charge of India during the British occupation there, when the Magnificat, the singing of the Magnificat, was suppressed by the government because it was dangerously subversive for the Indians to hear it and sing it. Wow. The same was true later in the 20th century in Guatemala, and then again in Argentina, when the so-called Mothers of the Disappeared wrote Mary's words on posters throughout the Capitol Plaza as a way of protesting the disappearance of their adult children, which led the military junta of Argentina to outlaw outlaw any public display of the Magnificat. You could not write it and post it. It would seem that it was safe to sing the Magnificat in the chapel of King's College, Cambridge, or to have clergy and others from across the world to pick up the Book of Common Prayer and pray the Magnificat every single day at evening prayer, which is part of the practice of evening prayer. But just don't let anybody take it too literally, please. Gets dangerous, you see, when they take it too seriously, whether that's in India or Guatemala or Argentina, or perhaps at one of Dorothy Day's Catholic worker houses in places like New York, or even in a small parish church in the East End of London, or downtown Winnipeg, where someone is liable to hear her great dream and begin to change their own life. Of course, it is precisely that danger that we need to hear and then be reminded of the extraordinary grace and even dangerous love that fueled the life of Jesus. Tramping about the countryside of Galilee, he fed empty stomachs, with bread and fish. He filled lost folk with powerful parables, and he bound up those whose bodies or hearts were broken. Jesus lived the Magnificat, you see, and that earliest church followed him as best as they could. And so should we. Now, I, I live a pretty comfortable life, if there's a book that I'd really like, I can generally just purchase it. 
If there's an occasion for a special dinner out, I don't really have to think all that much about how to pay for it. If my laptop breaks down, I'm most worried by the inconvenience of having to wait for a repair, but at least I'll repair it. Still, I find it hard to just read the Magnificat as the nice old canticle I say at evening prayer. Rather, it's an ongoing wake-up call for me to find ways to live into it now, just as so many others, from the early Christians, to the desert fathers and mothers, to St. Benedict, to St. Francis of Assisi, right up through the ages to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, or Dorothy Day, or Kenneth Leach, or maybe the person in the pew next to you who lives out of a space that embraces radical abundance and generosity, even when their finances get stretched. That's the claim of Mary's song on us, you see. To strive to find ways to live the gospel in its fullness, and to trust that in the fullness of time it will be so. Our souls, too, shall magnify the Lord, and our spirits, too, shall rejoice in God our Savior. That's why every year during this season, we have to again read and sing Magnificat, because it reminds us of who we are called to be. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.